Hello and welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's blockbuster movies, star-studded films, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Malika, Cleese, and Will, and today we are continuing our quarantine miniseries, Tackling the 250. Since no new movies are coming out and we all have embarrassing blind spots in our movie-watching repertoire, we are going back and watching some of those films now that we have more time on our hands. We are using the IMDb Top 250 movie list as our guide, and today we will be discussing the classic The Shawshank Redemption. So this is a movie that I hadn't seen, and I can't believe I had never seen The Shawshank Redemption because... It's permeated through pop culture. It's like heavily quotable. There are so many recognizable actors and scenes that just felt so familiar. And I'm glad that I finally had a chance to sit down and watch it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm almost kicking myself that I hadn't seen it sooner because I think I spoiled some really important scenes for myself. Like the scene, like, well, first of all, I knew that Andy escapes and that's like a big spoiler like (laughs) knowing kind of the big ending and I knew the purpose of the poster I knew about the suicide that happens like midway through the film so I think a lot of the emotional beats I knew were coming and so I did not cry what did I cry now I'm like not sure. I probably cried. Let's Air on the side of caution. I think I, no, no. I cried at the end. I lied. I definitely cried at the end. Not where I thought I was going to cry. I thought I was going to cry because of the hanging, but I cried at the end. I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. Malika, I'm almost impressed that like you hadn't seen it just because it's on TNT and AMC and every cable network all the time. Like, I feel like every time I turn on the TV, it's available on some cable network. It's like, oh, I'll watch 15 minutes of Shawshank. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I think it's the one consistent thing of my childhood is the Shawshank <laughs> Redemption being on television. Yeah, but I think that if you'd never seen it start to finish, it's not a movie that makes sense jumping in halfway through or just like watching a snippet because I'm like, wait, who, what, where? You know, not like The Fifth Element, another movie of my childhood that like came on all the time, but there's like action and, you know, fun things happening that you can just watch like 30 minutes and be entertained and not necessarily need to remember the intricacies of the plot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. On the rewatch, something that stood out to me was like, this is really sad for the majority of the movie it's like the whole time you're watching the movie it's like this person dies this man is raped this man (laughs) is killed this man commits suicide there's two minutes of happiness and then they're all beaten up it's like oh god (laughs) well i was talking to my brother about this because it's based on a stephen king book and i was like oh that's so strange to me because he usually does these like horror or terrifying scenarios right and like what's that here and he pointed out that the terrifying scenario is going to prison when you know that you're innocent and I was like ah shit that's such a good point and then just like having that in the back of my mind as I was watching that did add to the sense of sadness in this film right like you know that Andy is in well actually you don't know that Andy's innocent right for most of the film you want to believe that he is but you're not sure that he is for sure until what, like three quarters almost towards the end? Yeah, I think it was like the last like 30, 40 minutes when Tommy, the new inmate, tells Red and 
and Andy about this guy that was bragging about killing a country club woman and her lover, and then they put the pieces together. So, yeah, you don't really know that Andy's innocent until, like, what is this, a, almost a two-and-a-half-hour movie? You don't know that until, like, at least an hour and, like, 30, 40 minutes in. Yeah, and I don't know about best adaptations as in most faithful to what Stephen King actually wrote, but the best movies that came from Stephen King books are probably Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, the two least horror genre specific movies and stand by me right yeah and i actually yeah. that's a movie that i'd seen many times as a kid and also like doesn't really have the typical horror element either yeah they find a dead body but it's not like anyone's chasing them or you know not the typical horror yeah it's very realistic yeah and i love the movie misery and it's the same thing it's a horror thriller i guess but it's not about supernatural beings or a haunted hotel or a scary clown or anything like that it's just more of a straightforward realistic story is it realistic i mean it's terrifying well, i mean me it's based being in realism imprisoned by somebody <laughs> yeah i guess it's based in realism so you guys said that you both watched this movie multiple times growing up do you have scenes that really like stand out to you when you think shawshank you think of this scene it has to be when he crawls through 500 yards of shit and comes out clean on the other side I mean, every time when he's standing there in the ditch, in the rain with his arms spread out, it's just such a sense of relief and happiness and vindication that, you know, because like we said, you're not sure until three-fourths of the way through the movie that he was actually innocent. When you finally find out he is innocent, it just comes crashing down how much all the atrocities he went through. I mean, they'd be atrocities for anyone, but... On top of the fact that he's innocent and then he finally gets out of there after 20 years. It's just like, it's such a rush of joy and relief, really. Yeah, I think kind of leading up to that scene, my favorite is when the next morning that he escapes and the guards realize that he's missing and the warden comes in and he's ranting and raving and he pulls Red in and he starts throwing Andy stones all around and then he throws one through the poster yeah. of Raquel Welch and it goes clean through and the look on his face it was just chef's kiss I loved it <laughs> yeah it was a definite a great ending to the movie like this twist like oh that little rock hammer that you didn't think would get you anywhere is the key to his salvation in the end salvation lies within god it's so good oh. <laughs> yes so quotable which is why like, how could I have not seen this movie by now but Miko so now that you've seen it for the first time do you have a favorite scene or something that's kind of standing out to you yeah so for me it was the scene where Andy locks the guard in the bathroom and then plays opera he uses this one moment of freedom to play opera and share it with all the other inmates and despite living in fear that he might get raped or like knowing that he's innocent and that his wife has been murdered, this woman that he loved, like all these awful things happened to him. He never really loses his humanity and his kindness. And that scene really like brought it home for me. Like I still wanted to root for him throughout the whole movie. And that kind of was like the pinnacle of that. Like, yes, Andy's a good guy. Malika, just piggybacking off of your favorite scene, that contains my favorite quote. And it comes from a narration of Red as they're kind of playing the music and you see all of the inmates in the yard. Uh, Red says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful. It can't be in expressed in words and it makes your heart ache just because of it. 
And I just thought that was like so beautiful. So many of these people in that prison are uneducated and probably don't speak Italian, but it's one of those moments where you don't need to totally comprehend everything that's going on. And everyone just got that moment to stop and just appreciate something that was beautiful, which was something those inmates never got a chance to do. So I agree. I love that scene. Yeah. Something I was thinking about in this watch through when Andy first is at the prison and Red is talking about how he just doesn't look like he belongs because while everyone else is sitting or walking in the yard and Red talks about how he's just strolling through and he's walking around like he's walking in the park uh, without a care in the world. I thought that was really interesting because it's it's kind of like encapsulates Andy's character as a whole in the movie because obviously this turned out not to be true, but almost like he was freed by being in that prison. Like he was a VP at this bank and you know he's having trouble with his wife. And from what we saw before he got into prison, he obviously was not in a good place. And like, I don't know, obviously he wasn't carefree. He had a lot of cares, but just the way he carried himself in the movie stood out so much more to me in this yeah. rewatch. I think that goes back to Malika's point too, and that um, he kind of clung to that humanity. Like he never lost it. And I like to think that him knowing he was innocent was what helped save him and get through that whole experience. And he didn't feel the burdens of a convicted man because he wasn't guilty. So he was able to maintain that sense of humanity throughout 20 years in prison. Guys, 20 years Crazy, on a yeah. wrongful conviction. What? That's nuts. That's, that is what stood out to me so much to watching again, because you know, Brooks, when he is finally released and they talk about how he had been there and institutionalized for 50 years. And then when Andy finally escaped, it was 20 years and red talked about how he was up on 50 years by the time the movie was at the end. And it's like, Brooks looks so much older in the movie, so it seems like he would have been there longer. But when you see that Red goes up for parole and he's been there 50 years as well, it really, to me, nails home the gravity of the whole movie. Because sometimes, you know, like I was saying, when you just turn it on and watch the last hour or the first hour or whatever it may be, that context of the duration of time in which they're there really gets lost. And until you watch it beginning to end and you see all the years pass, mm. it really like drives home the point that they are there for a long time. Yeah, you time. really only know how much time has passed by like subtle hints and Red's narration. So there are points in which Red will say something like, oh, the Kennedy assassination happened. Or he makes a comment of the poster in Andy's cell changing from... Marilyn Monroe to Raquel Welch to kind of dictate that passing of time. But yeah, you wouldn't really know it unless you were following the linear tale of the story. And it's so much more horrifying to realize just how quickly time has passed. And that kind of actually connects to like one of my favorite quotes from the movie when Brooks gets released and they're all sitting around talking about it and they find out, you know, that he's upset about leaving. And a lot of the guys don't understand it, right? Like they don't, they don't realize why, why would you want to stay here? And then Red kind of breaks it down and he, t and he says, you know, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes and you grow to depend on them. That's institutionalized. And for me, I personally felt that really deeply because, you know, as a person of color, the institutionalization of other people of color and people spending their lifetime behind bars and people missing out on huge chunks of their life because of something they didn't do, really petty things they did when they were a child, 
And the fact that once they are released, they're expected to just sort of slot back into life and it doesn't work that way. Like that is really raw and really emotional. And I thought that was like such a great succinct way of phrasing that whole thing. For sure. Another thing that really like drove home the passage of time that I only picked up on this watch through was when the beginning and Andy is first dealing with the sisters who are abusing him. Red says Andy put up with that for the first few years and it's just like a throwaway line. But you're like, what the fuck? The first few years? Uh, Like, that's not an insignificant amount of time. That one like really shocked me watching it this time through. It's like, holy cow. Years. So I have two questions for you guys. We'll start with the first one. It's the title of the movie, The Redemption, Shawshank Redemption. I want to get into this because starting the film, I actually thought that the story was Andy's, right? It's his redemption. But as the movie went on, I changed my mind and I decided Red's redemption is really the core of the film. I mean, he's also the narrator. So that's like part of it as well. What do you guys think? Yeah, I completely agree, Malika. I mean, I haven't seen this movie all the way through in quite some time. So like Will was saying, I typically just see snippets of it while it was on. So this was the first time in a long time that I watched it all the way through. And it really does kind of, I think, reinforce your thinking that Red is kind of the main character. Obviously, both he and Andy are protagonists, but it really is Red's version of the events, right? Like we never really get inside Andy's head. And everything we learn about Andy, it's through the lens of Red becoming his friend. So I agree with you. I think the redemption is, if you have to pick a character, it's probably Red's. And Andy, while he definitely gets his, I wouldn't say revenge, he definitely escapes and reclaims his life. He has nothing to feel redeemed for. He didn't commit a crime. So I I would agree. I feel like in a weird way, this is Red's story, but Andy just plays a huge part in it. Yeah, and I think Andy is the redeemer, and that makes Red one of those who is redeemed, but I don't think it's exclusively Red. I think Andy is like the redeemer of all of Shawshank prison, and there's a lot of religious allegory. Andy is this Christ figure, almost like wrongfully accused person who gets thrown in under these sacrificial circumstances, and through his benevolence throughout the movie, the scene when they're tarring the roof and he gets beers for all the other inmates and he doesn't take any himself. And Red says he does it just to feel normal again. Or when he plays the music over the speakers for all the other inmates, you know, he redeems the prison and everyone in it. And I think, you know, there's also the parallels between the warden being this demonic figure and he rids the prison of this demonic figure and obviously there's the religious allegories with the bible and salvation lies within but on top of that i think one of the biggest things that shows that andy is the redeemer and red is the one who's redeemed is just how much of a parallel there was between brooks when he left the prison and he went out and obviously ended up killing himself because he didn't fit in. And basically because of his relationship with Andy red, when he's put in that exact same situation ends up finding salvation in Ziwatanejo with Andy, which could be like a heavenly type parallel there. So I definitely think Mm -hmm. right. They're paradise. Exactly. So I think Andy is probably the redeemer, whereas Red and all of the rest of Shawshank as well is 
And what's so interesting about that moment where Andy's come out clean on the other side and he's standing in the ditch and he has his arms raised, it kind of reminds me of the Christ the Redeemer statue in Brazil where he has his arms raised in a similar fashion and we're talking about Andy being the Redeemer of Shawshank. And I just, that really just kind of connected the dots for me in this very moment. I was like, wow, this movie has levels, guys. So many levels. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good point. And I guess you have to have done something wrong in order to be redeemed. And since Andy was technically innocent of the crime that he was convicted of, Bread was the one who admitted that he had actually murdered someone. So it checks out in that sense. And actually brings me to my favorite quote was when Andy says, the funny thing is on the outside, I was an honest man, straight as an arrow. I had to come to prison to be a crook. Um, And I love that because it's true, right? And it actually then leads me to my second question for you guys, which is, at what point do you think Andy came up with a plan to take on the persona of that made-up person that he had created to cook the books for the warden? Because it all worked out super well. Like, it was a very neat ending. I mean, yes, took years and years to create, right? He had to get the shoes and he had to have the books and whatnot. Like, it worked very well. But at what point was that his plan? Because he got the hammer much earlier. He knew he wanted to escape. But where was he going to go, right? Like, just escaping is only half of the plan. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that whole tidy ending. Like, I like to think he had a semblance of a plan as soon as he approached the uh, head prison guard about tarring the roof um, in exchange for helping him, like, give the gift of $50,000 to his wife so the IRS wouldn't tax it. I think right then he had at least some semblance of how it was going to lead to the end game because... He had already begun digging the hole in the wall at that point. And he's a smart guy, obviously, as we see in the movie. And he would have had to know that escaping the prison, just like the walls of the prison, wasn't going to be enough for him to, you know, make it out on the other side. I like to think he could see this series of events leading to helping more and more guards, eventually helping the warden. He probably assumed that something was going wrong with the warden because he was an evil guy. And he said when he's talking to Red that when he says that line, I had to come to prison to be a crook. He said, if you know all of the right papers, all the right people to talk to, you can make a fake person. Mm -hmm. And so he obviously knew how to do it up to that point because I think he had been thinking about it. So I think it was the semblance of the plan of using the mail to create these fake documents to create a fake person. I definitely think he had that in mind like way earlier in the movie. I have a slightly different take. I do think like Will was saying, Andy was smart enough to realize the opportunities that were given to him by being allowed to prepare the financial documents of the workers in the prison and the special privileges that came with that. But I, I honestly do think that his resolve and his decision to actually take on this persona and escape and what that would mean. I think that's something he actually thought of while he was in those two months of solitary. Because if you really think about it, he had no idea that there was any sort of hope out there for him until Tommy disclosed uh, who actually killed his wife and her lover. And I feel like that moment of seeing the warden for who he really was and then hearing about Tommy dying really just solidified for Andy that he doesn't owe any of these people anything, right? Like it kind of goes back to him having to go to prison to become a crook. I do think he was holding on a little bit to not kind of crossing that line because even when he's talking to Red about 
cooking the books. He's saying, hey, I'm not the one actually embezzling the money. I'm just helping them with the paperwork. So he had a little bit of that gray area and like he could sort of recuse himself from that involvement. But I think the moment that he saw how evil the warden was and that it didn't matter that he was an innocent man, he made that decision right then and there. And he had two whole months alone to plan this and think about it. Yeah, And it was yeah. pretty quick after his release that all of this stuff what got set into motion. So I'm assuming he spent those two months really kind of going through every detail, figuring out exactly what he needed to do. And then as soon as he had an opportunity to get the warden's clothes and his shoes and he could get the books, the hole was already dug. So he just needed to like put it all together. So that's what I think happened. Yeah, I agree with you because it went from just an escape plan to a revenge and escape plan at that point because he killed this guy, Tommy, who was just trying to help him out, right? And he'd gone really close to Tommy. He'd taken him under his wing. I think that was a brutal eye-opening experience for Andy because he went to the warden. He trusted the warden. He thought that he had built this relationship with the warden until that was yanked from him. I don't think he planned on using that persona for anything beyond just actually helping the warden. Yeah, that's it's an interesting point because... Before then, he would have had to have had the state ID, the social security number set up, and all these different accounts and managing all these different books that he was cooking. Um, but I do agree that that was the moment where he decided, I'm doing this. I'm sure it was a lot of kind of fantasy in his mind of how he could if he ever got the opportunity. But I agree that was the moment where he finally was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm following through and I'm getting out of here. So this is the Tackling the 250. We're talking about these movies that are in the IMDb Top 250 list. And this is movie number one. The number one ranked movie in IMDb. So I guess IMDb would say this is the greatest movie of all time. Malika, what do you think? How does it fall in your rankings of movies you've seen does it deserve that spot Oof! i mean as much as i really like this movie and for all the reasons that we just discussed right great great actors very quotable amazing heartfelt scenes a great bromance i don't think it should be number one i mean there's so many movies on that list that i love more like jurassic park uh, i just don't know i don't think it should be number one i could think it should be definitely in the top 100 maybe the top 50, but oof. That's a spicy hot take, Malik, and I love it. (laughs) I'm kind of with you. I feel like I think it's a phenomenal movie, but I don't know if it would be my number one. Um, At least for me, like, I don't know about you guys, but the way that I kind of classify movies that I think are great, it has a lot to do with obviously the story and the characters, but it also has a lot to do with how I feel when I watch the movie and how I feel about the movie. And things like that and how rewatchable it is. And I definitely think this checks a lot of those boxes. But I would agree with you. I feel like Jurassic Park has a much higher esteem for me in that I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a deep movie. I think it's a silly movie all in one. And I love that blending of themes and tones. Whereas I feel like this movie, while fantastic, is definitely a really dramatic kind of harrowing tale. And it's just, it's a lot. It's an emotional sink. And I don't know if I would personally give that type of film my number one because I have to enjoy the experience of watching the movie as much as I enjoy the movie on paper. I definitely do think it's like a top, probably 25 or 50, but I don't know about number one. And just as a note, every time I've checked the IMDb top 250 over the last several years, this movie has been number one. So it has been consistently number one for quite some time. Consistent, yeah. Yeah. 
I was going to say the same thing. And Clay, I agree about your point of how the movie makes you feel. But the thing is, like when I think back to when I first saw this movie, and it's hard to put an exact time or date when I first saw it. It was a long time ago. But I just remember feeling I've never seen a movie like that. And I've never had a movie make me feel that way. Like there are so many times the first time watching it where you felt the desperation of the characters, you felt the isolation, you felt those small pieces of joy and that relief and satisfaction when Andy finally gets out and that happiness when Red and Andy finally meet back up in Zuatanejo. Like admittedly, it didn't feel that like watching it now for the 200 millionth time, but I just do remember that feeling of like watching that movie and never seeing anything like it or feeling anything like it the first time I watched it. And that's what makes me sad, Malika, is that you know the movie, you know like the beats of the movie, you just had never seen it all the way through. So I ruined it for myself, yeah. Right, you were experiencing it for the first time, but you weren't like really experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, it's like reading a bunch of spoilers and then going to see a movie essentially is what happened, Right. right? Unlike some of the other movies that I'm like, I'm just scrolling to the IMDb top 250 right now. And there's all these movies that I saw when they came out, you know, Gladiator, Jurassic Park, Lion King even. Right. So and also also those all have um, nostalgic elements to it because I saw them as a kid. And this movie just completely misses out on that. And I really think that if I'd seen this for the first time and didn't know anything about it, it would have had a higher place in my heart than unfortunately I have to give it. Yeah, that's a really good point though that you both make. I agree. I feel like a lot of my perspective on the movie is having seen it a bunch of times versus that feeling you get when you first see it. But I still kind of come back to your point, Will, of like the movie makes you feel all these emotions. While I don't feel them as deeply on rewatches of Shawshank, I still feel those for Jurassic Park. So therefore... But that's it's my number that's one a nostalgia thing. No, it's not because I, I actually did not see Jurassic Park as a kid. So my family had just migrated to the United States in 1993, and I didn't see Jurassic Park when it first came out. I saw it later when it was like on TV. I did not see it when I was like five, six. I saw it as like a teenager for the first time. I just remember this movie for me was one of the movies that like really made me realize what cinema can be and what it can do. Like, I know that sounds really cheesy and you're laughing, Malika, cool. <laughs> but like, I, you know, you've seen movies that are like blockbusters action that like made you laugh, but like I had never seen a movie before this one probably that really like made me feel those yeah. deeper emotions that like look past like happiness and sadness and good and bad that like make you take in all of the different I don't know, things a person could feel. Okay, now I get to <laughs> no, no, I actually, I actually completely agree. And I get it because the book of Mice and Men is like that for me, where it's the first book ever where I cried. And I was like, holy shit, a book can make me yeah. cry? And like, even though I haven't read that book in years and years, and maybe I should reread it, it still has this like, grip on me. And whenever I think about it, I do still get emotional. And so I get what you're saying. I don't know if there's a movie that does it for me, but I will jump back into the Jurassic Park argument and say that 
I saw it again in theaters when they did the, they like retouched it. It was like a 25 year anniversary thing, I think, right? Yeah, Yeah. and it was back in theaters. And oh man, I was feeling every beat, every movie. And I had seen this movie so many times. And I still was like, when that T-Rex comes at the end and the banner falls, like I literally like pumped my fist, right? (laughs) So like this, obviously this movie isn't like that. It's not an action packed (laughs) film. So it's hard to even compare it. But if you are putting this in a list of movies that have that sort of make your blood rush kind of films, it's hard to let it be at number one. I don't know. Ah, Yeah, it's hard to say that this is something better than, you know, a movie like School of Rock. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Too bad we've all seen these movies. It'd be so fun to discuss now. (laughs) I feel like this whole list is a little bit subjective because... It's a movie list. It's not a sad movie list. It's not a happy, it's not an exciting movie list. And it's hard to put all these movies up against each other just because they're great films, but they're great films for different reasons. So it's not going to resonate with the general populace. Our voice of reason, Aaron Kelly. (laughs) Slash producer. Yeah, Aaron, you have to give us your first impression summary of first time watching it because... This was also Aaron's first time ever watching The Shawshank Redemption, so... It was my first time watching it the whole way through, just growing up. You know, my parents had it on TV when I was just, like, walking through the living room or whatever, and I sat down and watched, like, a few minutes of it. So there was quite a few scenes that I remember seeing, but this was the first time where I actually sat down and watched the whole thing through, and... This film was really great. I'm kind of a sucker for like sad sack films and things like that. So yeah. I definitely felt that this resonated with me for sure. Would you put it up there? Ooh, I have the an top? even better question. Aaron's favorite movie is The Dark Knight. Is this better than The Dark Knight? Uh, I would say no. I think it's not as good as Dark Knight in my <laughs> personal opinion. According to IMDb, it is. Dark Knight's what, number four? Four? Yeah. <laughs> So. Two, three spots better. <laughs> yeah. The official measure. <laughs> but I want to know, Aaron, did you cry? I mean, there was definitely some misty eyed. Definitely moments. cried. He's lying. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I, every time I like well up when Andy makes it out, it's just like he deserves it so much, you know? I, oh, I actually so got good. emotional when Red and Andy reunite. Not just like. Andy getting out, but it's like, oh, he brought his friend with him. Like when he, it was his time. He had money for him. He told him where to go, the bus and all that. It was just, it was true friendship. Wait, are we resurrecting Malika Crywatch? Because that's a count of one out of two for our top 250 miniseries. Yeah, Die Hard wasn't really a tearjerker. Yeah, that one, uh, I'd be a little surprised. (laughs) Even you. I'd have to go seek some help if I was crying during (laughs) Die Hard. When Argyle just hits that ambulance with his limousine. (laughs) Oh, Argyle. And with that, that ends today's episode of Tackling the 250. Follow us at CynicalPod on Instagram and at ak.audio to follow our amazing producer, Aaron Kelly. Give us some DMs about which movie in the 250 we should do That's right. Slide on in like a Slytherin. What? What? (laughs) Yeah. Crawl through 500 yards of shit to our DMs. Also through a air duct. Climb through that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Bye. Deuces. Bye. Oh, my God. Was I not recording? <laughs>